started thinking about uh, this testimony. I know messages sometimes have uh, titles to them, but as I thought and I saw some of the, um, the themes that came around each step of the way, I thought of before we ask, before we think, God is working. Right? He does above and beyond what we think or ask, and he knows what we need even before we ask him. Um, so just to give some context, so this is 1996. Now I know, okay, if I was in a crowd of maybe younger people, they'd be like, I don't know, it's 1996, but most of us have memories of 1996, which is, which is good. Um, Christian College, Steph and I were there in the fall of 96. This is just real quick, and I'll bring you up to speed. Uh, so fall of 96, Steph and I were introduced one to another. In the summer of 97, we found out that we liked each other. It was our junior year. And then in the fall of 97, spring 98, we're going into our senior year. We dated. We graduated. I'm going to graduate school, and she's going back home, northern Maine, right, to, to work for the year as I'm, as I'm schooling. My first, my first thought here in the summer of 1998, I look at it as God's choice in my life. And there were a couple of ways. Throughout the spring, going into that summer, I was contacting and applying. Uh, so this is undergrad, right? We just finished undergrad, and I'm applying to graduate schools. And I don't know at that point. So you're sending away applications, and you just don't know. But as the letters started coming back, I thought of this morning's uh, Sunday school message, you know, they were saying, yes, but. Because the one thing I was looking for, right, financial aid, right, an assistantship of some kind, research or teaching, and that's what I was looking for, I was asking for. And as the uh, letters came back, it was, yes, you're welcome to come, we'd love for you to come, but we don't have an assistantship for you. Yes, but we don't have a, a job for you. So the six or seven that came back was like, only one said, yes, and we have a place for you. It's like, okay, Lord, there was just one. Thank you. Right. That's the direction I'm going. Um, and in short, right, so that was 98 that I went to Clemson. And in one year, I finished the, um, the graduate, the coursework, the summer of, of 99. Uh, I did thesis work, so that allowed me to get all of the requirements done in that year. And as we came out, the summer of 1999, I look at this as providential timing. And I, as I came through that time, you know, you could come, you could shrug your shoulders and be like, I missed the deadlines for graduation in the summer. Okay. But, right, when you look back at it, I also made the deadline so I didn't have to enroll in the fall. Okay, well, that's a good thing. Um, it wasn't quite my choice, but God knows. And those were some of the small things, some of the blessings in disguise. So I did have to take out a small student loan. And the fact that graduation wasn't happening until December or Christmas, right? Any of the loan payoff interest didn't start until then, which was a positive. It was delayed. As we came out of the summer of 1999, Steph and I knew we could begin looking at God's next step for us. I was finishing up Clemson. Okay. And also, uh, we were engaged at that point, but we were looking at when can we get married. If I'm not graduating until December, or we don't want to get married too soon, what are we supposed to do? So we waited, but God was bringing some clarity to us. 
And it was enough clarity to kind of set a wedding date in October of that year. So 99, uh, coming into the summer, October. October was the date. And now we're in August, right? I finished up the summer requirements, finished up all the pieces stuff, and we're coming into August. And there, there were some, some challenges with that, because if you look at the academic calendar and people that are renting places, like, you know, it's August to August, right? That's where the school calendar, you, you, you can rent for a year. It's like, well, my time is up, and I don't have a place to go yet. Oh, so the rental contract was expiring. I was in no man's land, right? I, I don't have a place anywhere. Um, rental contracts up are God's provision, even in that time. Uh, so there was an acquaintance at church. He had a house, and I think was renting the house, but he kind of sub-rented a room to me. It was just enough. I didn't need much, just a place to put my bed, my my, my things that I moved out of the, the rental place. Uh, but there was, there was also a benefit. I had the housing there, but since I wasn't graduating until December, I was still a student, technically. And so I still had access to all of the, the school resources for job hunting and house hunting and things like that, which is great. So I had a place to stay and I had a place to work, even though, I mean, I was a student, but I wasn't in school, which is good. And then it came the job search. Like, you're just out of school. This is my first, now you guys are speaking from experience, right? So we think, oh yeah, I've been through job searches before, but like the first time, like the first one. I'm in South Carolina, my wife's in Northern Maine, and she's like, she's a, a girl that was born and raised in the same place up in the county. Right, so that heritage is very important to her. So she's like, um, honey, I, I know you're looking for an engineering job, and I know maybe you can't find it in Northern Maine, but maybe Southern Maine? No, New England, can you look, please? So it's like, that's fine for me. My, I'm a military brat, and so we would move along, move around. So it was nothing to me to get up and move away from the family. That's kind of what I anticipated, I expected. So sure, let's, uh, Let's set our focus on New England. So, right, it's August, August-ish. New England job boards. Thankfully, we had the internet at that time. Right? So <laughs> I'm searching, hunting the internet. I'm submitting resumes, following up. There's not a lot of valuable responses. And the time is ticking. Uh, wedding is set for October. Right? We've got three months. Like, there's a lot that needs to happen. So it was a growth point uh, for us. Although Steph and I, it's like, we want God's will uh, in our lives, but we want it to be New England. I'm willing to follow God, but we want to be near home. And so we had to grow and say, you know, Lord, if we truly want your will for our lives, now you can say, Rob, you should have grown a little more. We at least said, okay, Continental United States, Lord, wherever you want to send us. Sure, you can fault me for it. I could have said anywhere. Um, but we were at least giving up what we our desires were initially. It's like, okay, we're, we're, we're willing to go. I flew out to Iowa, interviewed with an automotive company, had a local interview in Greenville, right? I mean, Clemson at the time, Michelin America's research group, they're there. I took a phone interview out in Arizona, uh, computer hardware design. And of course, when I had that uh, interview, they're like, oh, 50, 60 hours, we're really fast paced. Like, I'm getting married. I'm pretty sure 50, 60 hours, Debbie's not going to like that. So <laughs> maybe that's a no. Right, 
so I'm really glad I didn't, I didn't take that one. So as we're looking, nothing's really, Lord, I'm willing to go, but nothing's panning out. And then maybe I should knock. I'm not, I'm not sure about this, right? So we're in 1996. You don't, you don't get knocks on the door anymore. You don't get telephone calls. It's more like, God dang it. But so you get an email uh, from, from Velcro USA. So they called, right? They're here right in Manchester. And so they said, hey, let's have a phone interview. So got on the phone, had an interview with them. And it's like, oh, they're in New Hampshire. This is good. So they just sent it to me on the call. Well, thanks so much for the call. <laughs> um, crickets. Are they going to respond? You follow them again. And it's like, um, we'll get back to you. It's August. Come on. October scouting. So patience was another area that we were learning, even though we're following up due diligence, uh, learning to wait. And they did call and they flew me up. Of course, even though we had an interview, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, so again, the patience that you're learning, you get to put into practice and wait for that. God's answer, the offer was sent to us and uh, starting in September 27th of 99, two weeks before we were scheduled to get married. Right? So thankful in that way that God's timing is perfect. And he knows how long to make us wait, how we can grow, but thanks be to him. All right. I could probably go back and get a date um, when that happened, but I'm still looking for housing now. Right? I have a place, right? Manchester, New Hampshire is where we're going. But up until that point, almost looking for housing or churches was frivolous. But now that we're going to Manchester, where, where are the houses? Where, where are the apartments for rent? And I started looking, again, thanks to the internet. And of course, I'm right out of college. So buying a house, out of the question. So that kind of took that off the table. Good, that options. I know I only have a couple of options to consider. You know, looking for apartments to rent. I think I can still remember the jingle from the hold music. As I call the apartments and I'm put on hold. And I can just hear that. It was like, I've heard this one before at this apartment complex, at this apartment complex, at this apartment complex, like the same one. Uh, there was nothing definitive that came out. Of course, you'd like to see it before you, you sign up for it. So at least I had a list of places to go and check, you know, when I, when I got up here. And the same thing for the church. It was very helpful. Um, once you get settled in Manchester, what are the good churches that are around? And I had a few on my list to, to attend as I made my plans to come up, but I just have to wait. The next step was the move and really the plan to move. And I added God's speed and God's help along with this one. As I look at all of this, I'm planning to move one week before my job starts. Just, you're just trying to plan things out and that's just the way it happens. You know, you get the truck, get the trailer, you put the car on it as you're on the Hertz Penske, you know, box truck up with the my Intrepid on the back end. So you're planning to come up and one week before I start, good, I'll drive up uh, like on a Saturday, attend church on Sunday, maybe apartment on Monday, Tuesday. I got the truck unlimited miles, thankfully. So coming from South Carolina to New Hampshire, continue to Northern Maine, pick up a load of steppy stuff while you have got the truck, come back, uh, unload, uh, check in the truck, get in and start work right on Monday. That was the plan. Lord, 
right? We need to rely on you, your speed, and your help. So Saturn, so my book says that the lemon doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> so on Saturday morning, I left at 6 a.m. And Robbie just left in Louisiana at 6 a.m. yesterday, right? So uh, he, was, he drove through the night. Same thing for me. Right? So left Saturday morning, uh, drove up, up New Hampshire, got in at 12 a.m., one-ish uh, type time. Like, okay, let me see if a hotel is available. I'm driving up to see 39 or 29 bucks on the side of the road. And I get here I'm on South Willow Street. You have any rooms? Yeah, they're like 120 a night. I'm like, they're like race weekend. I'm like, really? <laughs> okay, so the hotels are probably full and they're significantly more than I was willing to. So thank you. Like, so I moved on. The Dunkin' Donuts that's on South Little, I parked the truck and trailer there and got just slept, slept in the truck for the night. That's that's what it was. Uh, you know, 120 doesn't seem like much to us now. Let's like drop it right there on a hotel. So back then. It was what it was, and uh, the truck was where my where my home was for the night. So I got up Sunday morning, and Faith Baptist Church, just looked them up on the internet. They're still around. They're still there. It's on Mammoth Road. Uh, Faith was the first one that I was going to attend. And I went there for Sunday school, uh, church, and Sunday school started talking with the Sunday school teacher. Of course, they're like, who are you? What are you doing here? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, shared with them my plan. And Sunday school teacher, I do not remember his name, but he said, when you get back in town, call me up. I don't even know how I called him. He said, I didn't have a cell phone at the time, so I probably stopped by a cable or something. I don't know. Anyway, he said, call me up. I'll come by and help you unload, which is good. Thank you. Um, and that was Sunday morning. Sunday evening, uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Hooksick. Um, they're still around as well. I was there for the evening service. They just stopped in for choir rehearsals. Like, what is their music like? What's the choir like? Uh, their evening service. And I think they had a fellowship time after. And even I met some key families that we know even to this day, Dave and Suzanne Damon, which we met them, which is another story for another time. And then the Byron family. And of course, as we talked at the fellowship, I was speaking with the Byron family and talked about plans. And Mrs. Byron asked, so where are you sleeping tonight? I'm thinking, I wish that question hadn't been asked. I really don't want to say, you know, I'm sleeping in my truck, but it's like, I'm sleeping in my truck. And the next words out of her mouth was, no, no you're not. You're staying with us. Before I asked, before I thought, God was helping. So it was, it was uh, I was over at the Byron's house. I went home with a couple, their 10-year-old son. We chatted over uh, a snack and uh, talked about my plans for, for Monday, for Tuesday. Basically said all day apartment shopping, and then with what I shared with you, heading up to Maine, grab some stuff, coming back and unloading. And then Mr. Byron was like, "No, my aunt lives over in Gosstown, and she lives across the street from a house that's for sale, but not on the market. Is that something you're interested in?" Now I already checked prices on apartments: so seven fifty, eight eight fifty for one bedroom, two bedrooms. Like I know how it's going to be too much. Okay, I will be um, polite, sure. Let's go look, and then I'll get on my way and start apartment hunting because that's realistically that's where I'm at land. We got there. Long story short, the landlord lived right next door. The lady came up, shared the house. Of course, it's in the early 1900s, stone foundation and everything that comes with that. Um, and then 
she was like, well, what do you think about 600 bucks a month? <laughs> right, knowing the 750 is out there. And uh, I wrote down, I was like, well, sorry, Stephanie, I'd like to get your input, but we'll take it. We'll take it. And I was like, I know she won't be too concerned because we're going to get a whole lot more than just the uh, just the rental apartment. So before before I even asked, before I even thought, God was working. As a matter of fact, we just coming back from the picnic yesterday. We drove down Gosstown back road to come home, and uh, Terry Merle Platt, Terry passed away, but Merle uh, still lives there, and we just passed him. Hey, Stephanie, well, she's not here today, but we we're going to stop. Saying, ah, we're not feeling great. We'll, we'll head home, but. She was there. So it was great to uh, see God work in our lives even as we're moving forward and coming up this direction. Well, I planned two days for rental shopping, and God answered that in two hours, which was great. Uh, so I was able to pack the truck. I left the car at the Emanuel uh, Baptist Church parking lot, just drove the truck up, uh, surprised Stephanie and her family early. I was only planning on being there Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. So I got up there Monday evening. Uh, which is a surprise to them. And then we finished loading the truck, came back, and remember, remember the Sunday school teacher from Faith that said, give me a call. Gave him a call. He came over with pizza in tow, mm. which was a, a, a benefit, a plus. We unloaded, unpacked the truck. And then uh, after returning the truck, so, and here's the end of the story, right? So after returning the truck, working one week at Velcro, and joined a couple of small outback, I can remember this specifically. I was trimming the hedge. Of course, I just came from South Carolina, and we're in September now. So I was like, this is so wonderful. Being outside in September, this is great. I love that. I remember doing that. Uh, the weekend came. I left the Northern Maine late Friday night, and my family, right, so we were all now converging on Northern Maine for a wedding the following week, and that is a different story. <laughs> yeah, so God works in many ways before we asked, before we thought, we saw him working. Let's let's sing a song, Suzanne, and then Kurt can come. I think it's 112 in our hymnals. We'll sing just the first verse. Uh, Kurt will give his testimony, then we'll sing the second verse. One hundred twelve. God leads us along. Just the first verse. Let's sing it. Many shrines springs. God leads the eternal
Well, when we're talking about testimony night, I guess uh, Steffi, it was Steffi who said to Rob, why don't you ask her to give his testimony and how they came from East Germany, wasn't it? Yeah. So some of you have heard this. Some of you have experienced it. That man right there, much older brother for you. <laughs> And if you have any questions after this that don't make sense, ask him. He knows more. He was four years older. My testimony is a bit out of the ordinary. And I'm telling you that I'm more convinced than ever that the Lord uses people to accomplish his purpose. We observe that in our lives in several ministries. Suzanne and I, and our roles in those ministries over the, over the years. And the Lord uses individuals that are sold out to him. I've seen it over and over. And he uses people to accomplish his purpose. And that fact becomes more obvious to me as each year passes. And there have been quite a few. Most of you know that Paul and I were born in East Germany. What was the that was the communist side of Germany. A brief history lesson. What was the situation at the end of World War II in Germany? Germany was divided into two parts. What were they? What did they mean? Overnight, a line was drawn through the country. One side was east, one side was west. The east was Russian control, the west was American control. We're not done with that, but I want to give you more of a frame of that picture. Allow me to provide you with a, a summary of my testimony in the very beginning. 2 Samuel 22.31 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all of them that trust him. I had to look up the word buckler, and it means a protector, a shield. Uh, or one that shields and protects. He's a buckler. Psalm 18.30 has the same phrase, but then it says, as for God, his way is perfect. And right at the end. I can tell you uh, that it's always a joy to look back for us because the Lord has worked in such marvelous ways. And giving a testimony is an opportunity to look back. And this kind of looking back, seeing how the Lord has led, gives a marvelous confidence about his leading in the future. We've experienced that. He has led in our family so unmistakably that the future holds no trepidation for us. A key favorite verse in our lives, Suzanne and I, Psalm 6930, I will praise the name of God with song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. A wonderful concept. We could spend a message on that. Life began for me in a very closely knit uh, Christian family behind the Iron Curtain. What was the Iron Curtain? What does it mean? I'll get to it in a moment. Dad has his own business, employed two or three men. Do you remember how many? Three or four. Three or four. Was a respected businessman in the community. We lived in 
house that grandfather built, active in the good church, evangelical Lutheran church, gospel would clearly, clearly preach there. Our family's roots were as deep as they could be, no doubt as deep as some of yours are here. Mom and dad and our oldest brother were all saved. Paul and I were not at this point. Part of Germany religion was sectioned off and added to the communist bloc at the end of World War II. It was known as East Germany, EDR. Now, of course, it's reunited into one Germany. And when the wall came down in 1989, when did the wall go up? 1962. It was Russian ruled and called a captive nation. What's a captive nation? What does that mean? In essence, in essence, the government held its citizens by force. Their advertisement was, we're protecting you from the outside. <laughs> the reality was, that was a joke. I mean, literally a joke. The reality was, they had gun towers along the borders, sophisticated electronic surveillance. It was said that at some vulnerable points along the border, there was enough shrapnel aimed inside in Germany, into Germany, to turn a body into jelly or trigger. Dogs, police patrolling borders, a bureaucratic maze of regulations. And as the West saw in the media, massive, massive cement walls, all in an effort to keep citizens from escaping the West. It was out of this desperate scene that God in his providence, in his plan and perfect way, his way is perfect, provided contacts in the West, safety and security for escape for our family. I was the youngest, seven years old, 1953. At a time when hundreds of families literally attempted to escape, Families being divided, never to see each other again. Our family of five was miraculously reunited in the West. How did that happen? God provided. A butler. Truly a butler. Mom had a sister. Lori said, you better take your handkerchief. I said, I won't need it. <laughs> <laughs> Mom had a sister who lived in New Jersey. She kept writing. You have to get out. You can come and live with me. I have room. I can sponsor you. Things will only get worse as you stay there. And things did get worse. The wall went up. And she said, I can employ you. And all those things were true. So my parents had a very difficult decision to make. I can remember, well remember, as a seven-year-eight-year-old boy, mom and dad, dad praying for months before the trip. Too young for me to fully understand. Paul probably understood it much better back then. The heart-wrenching that was going on. Just praying about it as a family was very dangerous. Why? Kids talk. Secrecy was crucial. On the day we escaped, I remember mom uh, coming to me to get me out of school. It was a normal day. I didn't know why. 
teacher didn't know why. I thought maybe, you know, maybe Hendis talked. I don't know. My brother also was taken out of school. Oldest brother was at work. The shop that my my father had in the in our house ran as usual. So our family left in two groups, moving at different ends of the day. Follow this. One group left in the morning, mom, oldest brother, and myself. Dad and Paul left in the afternoon, traveling in a different train route, all in an effort to avoid the look of permanent hatred. To give the appearance of a casual Easter visit to West Germany, actually to Berlin. We took gifts and flowers, couldn't take anything of value, couldn't withdraw money from the bank, take belongings, had to give stuff away. That was dangerous because no one could tell that we were going to leave the country. Very dangerous for you uh, to tell people that. Not only could you get in trouble, big trouble, but they could get in trouble for not reporting you. So, Two people knew that we were leaving, mom and dad's closest Christian friends. We took no more than what you would take for a weekend, Easter weekend, a couple of small suitcases, some gifts, it was Easter time, flowers. Mom had money sewn into her underwear. If more than normal money was found on a person, that would be suspect, yet you need money. <laughs> Withdrawing a significant amount of money from the bank would be reported. Folks, does that sound a little familiar to you? Because today in this country, when you when you withdraw large amounts of money, you are reported. We had to just walk out and never come out, never come back. Sorry. Leave everything for the communist government to confiscate. Our dad pictured this. Uh, was in his mid-50s when that decision was made. When I was in my mid-50s, I thought, that was 20 years ago, more. Uh, when I was in my mid-50s, I said, my, what did Dad do with this money when they did it? With two uh, preteens and one teenage son. Leave home. Family, business, friends, church, relatives, comfort, stability, virtually everything to a land of uncertainty to start all over financially, new language, unsure job prospects, questionable housing with a wife and three children, two teens, three teens. What would the motivation be for a man to do such a drastic move? Listen. It was for the prospect of gaining freedom for his family. Just the prospect, no guarantees. East Germany, individual freedoms were being choked. Sounds familiar. Private business had to donate much, as much as one quarter of its product to government with no remuneration. Farmers first, then came private industry. I think that's when Dad said it's time for us to leave. It's an unworkable situation because he was self-employed, and the communist regime obviously was.
was on the verge of collapse. There were thousands of business people and professionals leaving the country at that time. And what was it called? It was called the brain drain. Mm. Professional people were saying, we've had enough. My oldest brother, Johnny, made a trial run into West Berlin to check out what it would be like. This time uh, when you could still visit the West without being very suspect. The game that was going on, some folks were crossing the border to visit and coming back. Others were going with them under the pretense of visiting and never coming back. That was the dilemma that the East Germany, East German police and army, trying to figure out who's visiting, who's escaping. And the strategy was to look like you were coming back, but leave. And if you were caught as being one of the leaving ones, you might never see daylight again. The problem was that everyone was a suspect and everyone was treated that way. Thousands were attempting that after more than a day of travel, the day that we left, and several delays for questions an inspection by authority, having left at two different times of the day on two different trains, we stepped out of the same train the next day in West Germany, a couple of cars apart. <laughs> Truly miraculous, God ordained. And as we discovered later, the train my father and brother were on to stop and search he laid several hours, just long enough, for us to get in the same train, to come out of the same place. Did not know it then, but surely know it today. God, God's providential hand kept us together as a family. Many could not. One part made it in, uh, into West Germany, and the other part never was heard again. Many families were divided. As a young boy, I remember those unforgettable, unforgettable scenes in the train station. A mother and daughter having slipped into freedom, desperately looking for a husband or father, son or daughter, in each approaching train. I remember. And many detained for further questions and ultimate fear and perhaps a labor camp. I will never forget the terror on their faces and the joy on the faces of the reunited. We were one of them. Freedom, think of this. Risking the unity of your family for the possibility of liberty. Just for the chance, no guarantee. Liberty is very precious. It breeds prosperity. Believe it. The United States is the most prosperous nation on earth. Why? It's the most free still. Liberty breeds posterity. How? To speak opinions, to go, to move, to improve, to get education, to think, to worship, to invest, to seize opportunities, to do or not to do, to testify, to witness, to invent, to build, to lead, or to stay. Prosperity. Liberty in American society has been one of the key ingredients of prosperity. And the Bible 
talk about living. Once as a wife, we were granted a visa to come to the United States, West Germany, in 1954. I often think, Paul and I have talked about this. What would our lives have been like if the Lord had not led our parents to leave East Germany? Radically different, 180 degrees. They did what they did for our future, not for themselves. Life would have been very, very different spiritually, economically, socially, educationally, in all respects. East Germany was the most successful communist bloc uh, country. Yet the Western, that compared to Western standards, it was a complete failure. East Germany, there was a joke traveling around East Germany, but East German told me this. It goes like this. Man orders a new car, pays for it that day. The salesman said, smiling, delivery will be in 10 years from today. <laughs> That's how it was. And it was a, probably a Trabant, which is that little gray car which four guys could pick up. So delivery was 10 years. Customer says, great, thank you. It's only 10 years. Oh, by the way, what time of the day will that be? Morning or afternoon? Says, Why do you ask that? Because the phone I ordered will be there in 10 years as well. <laughs> in 1978, every one of my relatives and friends, when we went back to visit in 1978, every one of my relatives and friends lived in the same place that we left 25 years earlier. Why? Because the family was allotted a certain living space Changing that space or location meant applying to the government. Permission might be granted in five years, if you're lucky. That would have been life for us in East Germany. For the average East German, it was a far removed dream to think about going to West Germany. Even more unrealistic were the chances of going to the United States. Entrepreneur, entrepreneurial opportunity was non-existent. What does that mean? When we visited in 1978, there were lines at the butcher shops. That looked out, if you look on the second floor, look down, there were lines at the butcher shops. The government decided there will be one butcher shop in this town. That's it. No matter what the demand, one butcher shop. There were lines at the drugstore. In the United States, you say, let's get together in some, with some pharmacists and open another drugstore. No, government says there's one. One planet church? No, that's regulated also. There's a heavy demand for cars. 10 year delivery time? Let's, let's start a car company. No, that's not possible. So with much help from the Lord, the Lord allowed us build a business from two employees to about 80. Did not need 
did not need government approval for that here. It was just started. Is that man? Saw the need? Yeah, for some reason. Which didn't exist anywhere except here. There's no authority here to limit those kind of startup ventures. There's a free environment. And the Lord had control over all of that. It allowed us to come here. When we arrived in the United States, we settled in New Jersey. Went to church where there was an English preaching morning service and a German preaching at night. Both Paul and I accepted the Lord as Savior as young teens. Do you remember that? At a Billy Graham evangelistic meeting in 1957 at Madison Square Garden, New York. It turned out to be a very historic meeting for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It was a benchmark. I remember the evening coming home quite well. Can recall the burden which was lifted from my young shoulders. I was an early teenager. There was a new peace and a joy never known before when we made that decision. Almost from the very beginning of accepting the Lord as Savior, I sensed the need to actively serve him in some capacity as a thankful. And as you know, music has become that vehicle. I took induction, a conducting instruction at the high school we attended in Irvington, New Jersey. It was a big high school. And they actually had a conducting class. And it was love at first sight. The Lord again, through his great providence and plan, allowed me to find a wife who also had a love for serving the Lord through music. And when I went to college in Holton, Maine, <laughs> 7,000 miles from here. <laughs> it looks tired. <laughs> the first thing I looked for when I got to college, Old Main, was a good church. Found this church a couple of blocks from the campus because the youth pastor at our church said, check out Military Baptist Church. That's where I went. <clears throat> Walked in in the middle of the day. Doors were open. Nothing was locked. Nobody there, I thought. Quite a small church. I heard someone playing the organ in the auditorium. I listened, and I decided I would go and strike up a conversation, because from the back, this young chick looked pretty nice. That was Suzanne. That's how it started. I felt a great urge to desire to, to join the choir immediately. She was the organist. It was a good way to get to know her. We look back on the past and how the Lord has worked in our lives. We reflect on his plan for our lives with confidence. And with a little, little less clarity, we can see how he's working today. And the future out ahead is even a little bit 
even with with the experience here at Philip Chapel. What's what's the Lord's will? What's the Lord trying to teach us? Isaiah 46 has a very interesting verse in it. Very interesting. The end of the verse says this, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. My counsel shall stand, and I, God, will do all my pleasure. This gives us confidence, and I think we've experienced that we've tried to be in the center of God's pleasure. And it's been a great joy because His way is perfect. Psalm 16:30. I will praise the name of, of God with a song and magnify Him with thanksgiving. How can we magnify an all-powerful Great God, little itty bitty, insignificant us, me, you, can magnify God with thanksgiving. And it's in the context of song. 